You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Today's guest, Josh Linkner, is a creative troublemaker. He started his career as a jazz guitarist and then went on to become the founder and CEO of five tech companies, which sold for a combined value of over 200 million. Josh is also a deeply experienced business leader, venture capitalist, top-rated keynote speaker, and author of four books, including New York Times bestseller, Disciplined Dreaming and the Road to Reinvention. In today's episode, we talk about small everyday innovations that drive oversized results, what are some popular myths about human creativity and how to bust them, and what are some systems and techniques that companies and individuals can use to build a culture of innovation. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I'm very excited to have Josh Langner with us out of Detroit. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ron. Great to be with you. Yeah, you too. Um, and thanks for your time and, and coming on. Uh, you know, I know you've got uh, big little breakthroughs. Is that your your second, third book? What is that now? It's actually my fourth. Funny fourth enough, I have four kids and four books, so go figure. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't and, know which is more tricky to deal with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that I think the books are easier. <laughs> Probably true. Probably true. I've got two and one in the oven, so I don't know. I'll need your counsel on as I continue in my journey through fatherhood. So, Josh, why innovation? Because that's what what it's about. But why the why write that book now? And tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. So, well, I've been deeply passionate about human creativity since like day one. I started my career as a jazz guitarist, and I've been playing now for over forty years. I put myself through college playing music. And I'm very passionate about sort of spontaneous creativity and the impact that we can create, how can level the playing field and create great outcomes, not only in in business, but also in life. And so I've had the chance to start, build and sell five tech companies and help get about a hundred startups off the ground. And I'm pretty bad at most things, but, but creativity has been the one kind of driving force. And I've just, I'm very passionate about this. I feel like humans have huge reservoirs of dormant creative capacity. And if I can help them unlock it a little bit, just the world's a better place. So all four of my books are on the same general topic of, of human creativity, but um, Big Little Breakthroughs, How Small Everyday Innovations Drive Oversized Results, um, by far is the best thing I've written. Like I, I invested over a thousand hours in the research and writing of it. And the whole idea is it flips innovation upside down. It doesn't showcase Elon Musk, who is out of the reach for most people. It helps everyday people become everyday innovators. So it's a book for people like you and me and normal people who can tap into this superpower and, and drive better outcomes in their lives. Well, thank you for calling me normal. I appreciate that because my wife wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, so, 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 so tell me more about that. How, how do we get someone um, that doesn't have an innovative mindset to, to, to pivot to at least, what is the starting place? I'm, I'm assuming that it's mindset and then maybe there's some exercise on how do we draw it out of them. But how do you get, how do you even get to the mindset to say, oh no, I'm not creative. I'm not innovative. That's not me. Well, it's important that we bust through a couple myths. You know, one myth is that innovation only counts if it's gigantic. Like if it doesn't change the world or or, or equate to a billion dollars of value, it doesn't count. And that's completely false. In fact, it turns out a recent study from Harvard, but 72% of the gross domestic product of the United States comes from big little breakthroughs, comes from smaller ideas. Uh, the second thing that we got to bust the myth on is that some people are creative and some people are not. And the research is crystal clear that all human beings are hardwired to be creative. In our own ways, by the way, like I play jazz guitar pretty well. I can't draw a stick figure if I tried. So each of us can express creativity in our own way. And and key to that is that creativity is very much like your weight 
not your height. So I'm like five, five on a good day. And there ain't no way I'm going to be six, two. However, my weight, I can control based on like diet and exercise and stuff. And, and creativity is exactly the same. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned skill that any of us can, can, can develop and cultivate. And then finally, the, the, this notion of that you have to take irresponsible risks or take, you know, you have to be a special fancy person with a billion dollar trust fund, or it's only for people wearing lab coats or hoodies. All that stuff is nonsense. Every one of us can find areas on a daily basis to be creative and it will boost results in, in work and, and family and community. So I love that. I, so, so let's just say that I agree because uh, I mean, I think these points are very logical. <clears throat> um, so now that I'm there, how do, what, what are you suggesting when you go in? I know you deal with some large clients uh, and, and enterprise customers about drawing innovation, building a culture of innovation. But so once you've done a mindset shift, now what? How do we, how, is there exercises? How do you go in and start really, once someone flips their belief switch to say, okay, let's do this? Well, so we're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule, which somehow yeah. became misinterpreted that if you want to learn anything, you got to invest 10,000 hours. Um, that actually wasn't, master, right? If you want to be like an expert or not. That's right. But, but it sort of got misinterpreted that many of us say, oh, I could never learn something because it's too much. I, I prefer the 20 hour rule, which is if you invest 20 hours of deliberate practice, you actually get pretty good at most things. And creativity is very much the same. So in the book, I cover the eight core obsessions of everyday innovators, which really focus on the mindsets and beliefs that innovators tend to embrace. And I studied everyone from celebrity entrepreneurs to billionaires to captains of industry to, to normal people. And But then inside, there's also an innovation toolkit, which is, as you point out, specific tactics and techniques that we can deploy to, to actually build those skills. And so with a little bit of extra focus, actually, all of us can be a lot more creative pretty quickly. And so, so I want to talk about the, 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 not the obsessions as much, but although if there's something interesting there, you know, not to say there's not anything interesting, but, you know, can that connect back to the everyday person? Because it sounds like out of the gates that unless someone has one of these eight obsessive behaviors or not, am I getting that wrong? Yeah, no, no, no. These, these are, are, are big ideas that are easy to embrace and they're, they're more like guiding principles. Yeah, so, tell me so no one needs to, to have anything going in. Um, they're fun too. Like one of them is start before you're ready, which is essentially the principle of not waiting for permission or directive or till your plan is perfectly baked, but, but just getting going and sort of being agile and course correcting along the way. Uh, some of them are more fun. Like there's one called um, use every drop of toothpaste, which is around the notion of being, um, being scrappy, being because we're making do with resources, using your ingenuity and resourcefulness instead of, you know, because often you hear this, you're like, I'd love to be innovative, but I don't have the time. I don't have the money, I don't have the right. fill in the blank. And, and the truth is that if, if, if the amount of re external resources you had equals the amount of creativity you have, the federal government would be the most creative organization on the planet and startups would be the least creative organization. And we know the opposite is true. But there's a couple other fun ones, Ron. One of, one of them is don't forget the dinner mint, which is this notion of before you ship a piece of work product, whether it's an email or a big new right line of code or whatever, you say, is there a way I can plus it up? Just like a little 5% upgrade, a little extra creative flourish, which could yield a disproportionately large set of results. So to, to, to um, just, just to be clear, nobody needs to be obsessive or have any mindset going in. It's really for novice people, uh, but, but say, how can, you, how can you quickly develop the mindset and tactics that everyday innovators embrace? I love that. And then tell me more about this. What are some of the exercises? You must be having some fun with some large organizations that are, are, are there must be some collaborative exercise on how we start to innovate together. Yeah, that's, that's the other misconception about innovation. You know, 
in our business lives, we have systems and processes for everything, but we think that creativity should just like magically happen. Like it's this mythical, misty, you know, wizardry kind of thing. Truth is we just need a little bit of technique. And unfortunately, most of us rely on something called brainstorming, which was invented in 1958. And it's totally out of date. And, and it's like, a, it's a great exercise to yield mediocre ideas. But I, I've actually built over the last 20 years, what I call an innovation toolkit, which are much, much, much more effective and more fun, by the way, um, techniques for idea generation. I call them idea jamming. But, but for example, one idea is, so let's say you do a normal brainstorm and you think that your job is to create good ideas, but you're so intimidated. You don't want to say the wrong thing or offend anybody. So you, you share your puny ideas, but you hold your big ones back. Uh, a fun technique to solve that is called role storming. So role storming is brainstorming in character. So for example, Ron, let's say you were pretending to be Steve Jobs. Well, no one's gonna laugh at Steve for coming up with a big idea. They might laugh at Steve for coming up with a small one. So now you're totally liberated. You could say anything you want, no fear of retribution. Another fun technique is the bad idea brainstorm. It's a two-part process. So first you get in a room with your team and you say, okay, we're gonna set a clock, like let's say 10 minutes, and we're gonna fill the whiteboards with terrible ideas. Take on a real problem, but like what's the worst way you could solve it? What's an awful idea? What's an illegal or immoral or unethical idea? And so here's what happens. Everybody's cracking up. It's really funny. You fill all these bad ideas up. But then part two, an important part two is, then you examine the bad ideas and say, is there a little nugget in the bad idea that you could flip over to make it a good idea? And so there, there's like 13 tactics like these that are they're non-traditional, way more fun and way more effective. I love that. I think that's great. Uh, and people should certainly pick up a copy of that to go through these in more detail. And, and I love that you said it's fun as well. But what about, what, what about building a culture of innovation? Because, you know, I mean, I think there's lots of organizations that people are a little intimidated to say, whoa, I shouldn't innovate because, you know, there, there's obviously this um, lack of maybe I don't feel safe in the organization. How do you guide companies to help individuals be a little more creative? and innovative? Well, so you can do that from the top down or the bottom up. Uh, if you're, We work with leaders all the time. And so you're exactly right, is the first thing you have to do is make it safe. Fear, not natural talent, fear is the single biggest blocker of creative output. And so fear and creativity cannot coexist. So if a leader says, hey, go be creative, but the real underlying message is, if you come back with a bad idea, you're gonna be put in timeout or fired. Like no one's coming up with a good idea. And so you need to at first create a safe environment where all ideas are celebrated. Now, largely this is done by creating rituals and rewards that, that support the creative process. One quick example, one, one company that I worked with issues every year two corporate get out of jail free cards each year. So they say to everybody, go on a limb. Everybody's job is creativity and, and, it, and take responsible risk. And if you screw something up, hand us a card, you're off the hook, no questions asked. And on the annual reviews, a leader will be disappointed with a team member if they haven't used both of them. So essentially they built a mechanism in, in, in the company's culture to, to facilitate and reward creative risk-taking. So they systematize it. They systematize it. And if you're mm -hmm. coming at it from the bottom up, the best thing I can say is that's the beauty of big little breakthroughs. Like if you go take some crazy ass risk, if you're an average person and you get it wrong, you know, they show you the door. But big little breakthroughs are, are small everyday innovations in high frequency. So you can test 30 ideas a week, knowing that 28 of them aren't gonna work, but you didn't burn down the building, they're all small. And, and, and the ones that do work, then you can expand the size of that experiment. And then if it works again, expand it again. So in a bottoms up way, it allows people, even in more rigid organizations, to begin to test their creativity in a really safe way. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of times it must come from 
the leader or the, the team leader, CEO, to make sure that, that it is driven through the organization. People are, you know, patted on the back and feel safe about this entire journey and process. And, and what are you seeing for, you know, in, and I don't know if you talk about this in the book with your research, but what is it, what, what is the impacts of all this? What's happening when someone gets this right or someone's old school and, and not leaning into learning and innovation? What are you seeing? Well, one of the problems is that most uh, decay remains undetected until it's too late. And so if a company is, is riding on their previous successes, most companies started out innovative in one form or another, but then they end up, you know, success can be a very bad teacher. And so there may be this silent decay kind of eating away at, at competitive advantage. And then when you realize it, then you're scrambling back to come back from adversity. And a much more appropriate approach or a better approach is to, to think about creativity and, and innovation and reinvention as an ongoing process. And if you, whether you have one person or 10,000 people in your company, every person should think of themselves as, as an artist, as an innovator. And when you do that, when you're constantly applying the lens of creativity to big and small stuff, you don't need to wait for this catastrophic event and then claw and scratch your way back. You, you, you just sort of build it into the, into the ongoing process. And you avoid a lot of the agony that companies like Pan Am Airlines and Oldsmobile suffered because they clung on to the past too long. So, you know, you're talking about clinging on to the past, but what other, what other mistakes are you seeing as people are trying to do this? What is another common, like, ah, just, you know, avoid these three mistakes as you try to build a culture of, of innovation and learning? Well, one of them is thinking that when problems are solved, they're solved permanently. Mm. I like to think of, of, of solutions in business like a carton of milk, and it should have an expiration date on it. You know, so you come up with some new process that might be perfectly optimized for today. But maybe you say, hey, let's reevaluate this. The expiration date is 18 months. And then in 18 months, you look at it and say, does it still work? If it's still perfect, keep it. But, but the world is changing so quickly. And when we solve problems, we think they're permanent, only to learn that, that it's more elusive. So I think that's one thing. Another thing is that people tend to uh, be followers. They say, well, this is the way success looks like in my industry or my field. So I'm going to do that. And another technique I, I, I love, which is called the judo flip which is essentially doing the polar opposite of what's conventional wisdom, at least exploring that. And here's, here's a good example, actually, from, from your uh, mother country of Canada. I just read about this restaurant yesterday in Montreal. So it's, it's a Chinese restaurant. I think about how many thousands of Chinese restaurants are out there. And most of them, are they, their claims are boastful. The best Szechuan chicken on the planet, the world's number one egg roll, whatever. And we all see through that, but that's what people do. In this particular restaurant, though, uh, it's in, in Montreal. It's called um, Antdai, A-U-N-T-D-A-I. There are notes from the owner on the menu that are brutally honest and a bit self-deprecating. So here's one. Compared to our General's, chick General So's chicken, this one is not that good. I'm not a big fan of this, but it's your call. And another one, he says, you know, hey, this one is kind of greasy. If you really dig that, you should get it. If not, avoid the dish. So the whole menu is like really kind of funny and self-deprecating, the complete opposite of what, what most people would do when, when writing a restaurant menu. And yet as a result of that judo flip, that oppositional approach, um, the restaurant's crushing. And here we are talking about, and I'm reading about it in the international media. Right, right, I love that. And I love what you said, every solution has an expiration date on it. I just don't think we think about things like that. I think it, we do think it's forever. You know, the solution until it breaks, but, but being proactive and knowing that no matter how good this is, it's going to expire. Hey, Ron, did you ever play the video game Frogger? Yeah. So I write in the book about this thing I call it the Frogger principle. I was like a total Frogger nut in the 80s or whatever. But if, you, if someone hasn't played, it's basically like you're this little frog and you got to cross yeah. the river. 
but you can't swim. So you have to jump on the back of solid surfaces, like an alligator. Sometimes too, right? Wasn't cross the street once in a while. Crossing the street once in a while. But but on the river part of it, you, you might jump on the back of a floating log or something. But here's the thing, those, those things are moving. And so if you jump on a solid surface, let's say the back of a log and you stay too long, you just stand still, you fall in the river and die. And I really think, man, that we're like living in a three-dimensional giant game of frog. In other words, we can't just leap onto a point of success and like, hey, this is awesome. I've cracked the code. It's going to be great forever. We have to go from one point of success to the other, to, to the other because the, the conditions are changing so rapidly around us. And it's only increasing in, in, in speed. So our little frog has to keep jumping forward. So the translation for those in, in the business world is, yeah, let's launch a new product. Let's slap high five. Let's spike the ball. Let's be proud of that success. But, but don't stand still too long because like the frog, that, that may end up the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, anything else that, that is either part of your keynotes with you, which you deliver internationally or part of um, the new book or past books, which you think we didn't talk about today that you think is very relevant to building a culture of, of learning and innovation? Yeah, well, another, another big thing I hear a lot is that it's like this all or nothing thing. You know, people, their, their bar is, okay, if I want to be creative, I better be Picasso or, or I can't. You know, it's just, it's so overwhelming. It's out of the reach for most people. So I love this notion of an upgrade. So think about this, we upgrade our cars and our wardrobe or our tech or whatever. Why can't we give ourselves just a creativity upgrade? And my recommendation for people is a 5% upgrade. So when you think about a 5% upgrade, that seems totally doable. You know, it doesn't seem like, oh man, I got to quit my job and go back to school and study for years and years or invest my life savings. 5%, we can kind of see how that works. And, and my suggestion is that a 5% upgrade can yield a disproportionately large set of outcomes because many of our results in life are binary. You win the deal or you don't. You get, you get the new team member or, or you lose them. And so that 5% upgrade, which again is really doable, can drive meaningful outcomes for us all. And, 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 and go back to how do I, how do we encourage people to do this 5%? Just what's encouragement? I know it's probably back to belief there again. Well, actually, no, I, I think it's some tactics. I literally do every day a five minute a day uh, creativity exercise. And I write about this in the book, but, but a couple of things that I do is one is, you know, they always say in, in software, if you want to change the outputs, you got to change the inputs. And so if you want better creativity outputs, maybe we should look at our inputs. I spend one minute, literally one minute a day, could watch a YouTube video of a great music thing. I could start a piece of art, but I just sort of absorb other people's creativity for one minute. I spend one minute a day doing what, what I might call creative calisthenics. So for example, um, what are 34 more uses for a pencil? Or, or if you had to you know, market a pair of glasses to somebody who's never worn them, what would that look like? And so they're not meant to drive output. It's just kind of like, like doing jumping jacks for your creativity. So uh, just a little daily practice is really the way to go. When I was playing music, I could take a great guitar lesson, but if I didn't practice every day, I'd quickly forget what I learned. And, and developing creativity skill is the same thing. And, and another thing I try to do every day is do one, just discover one teeny, tiny, teeny, meeny, meeny micro innovation. So for example, next time you order a pizza, order it with the pepperoni under the cheese instead of on top. Or like brush your teeth with the opposite hand. But just adding one little bit of, of, of creative thinking into your day, it'll start to build, it starts to create momentum and it starts to multiply. Josh, that is awesome. I really appreciate this. I feel like that this was like drink from a fire hose. I mean, I was making notes as you were talking because I think there's some great stuff and we are certainly um, gonna put some of these ideas um, in our Scaling Culture book, which I think have to be in the innovation chapter. So, so thank you for that. Um, where can we find you? You're doing, you know, uh, you're doing lots of keynotes. Where, where can we find you and where's the new book going to be? 
So I think the best place to, to visit is biglittlebreakthroughs.com. And there's a bunch of goodies there. There's a free creativity assessment, sort of like jumping on the scale to see how you weigh right now and gives you some pointers. There's a whole downloadable innovation toolkit. You can download the first chapter of the book for free. There's all kinds of goodies, tools, techniques, worksheets, on and on, biglittlebreakthroughs.com. And really the whole goal again is to help everyday people become everyday innovators. I love it. Love it. Josh, thanks so much. I appreciate your time and love your energy and your innovation. Uh, it, you know, I feel like if anybody can, can and individuals, companies can just take a nugget of this, it's going to really have an impact on whatever they're doing. So thank you. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. Continue on. That's awesome. If you want to learn more about Josh Linkner or anything else from this episode, please see the show notes from our links in the details. If you enjoy this episode, please share on social media and subscribe.